Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. I'm so glad that you are joining me today. And I want you to know as I begin the broadcast today, the psalmist said that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth should be pleasing to the Lord. So two things there. I've got to think right. I've got to think thoughts that are pleasing to God so that I'll speak right. The two kind of go together. And today I'm going to be speaking and tomorrow on the subject of biblical morality. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about what is right and what is wrong. There's no doubt about it when we look at this subject of biblical morality. We're going to be very specific today. We're going to talk about what the Bible teaches and what the Bible speaks on when it comes to the matter of homosexuality. And so to help you with this, and I know the majority of the people that listen to me, I would say are believers in Christ. They're into the Word. They're serving the Lord. They have a high view of Scripture. And so maybe you need some help on this subject, more than what I'm going to be able to do on a broadcast. I want to recommend a couple of books that I think will help give you some insight into this subject about what the Bible says about not just homosexuality, but biblical morality as a broader topic. And so the first one is a book by Sean McDowell, and it's entitled Same-Sex Marriage, A Thoughtful Approach to God's Design for Marriage. Again, by Sean McDowell, it's a paperback, Same-Sex Marriage, A Thoughtful Approach to God's Design for Marriage. The second book that I would recommend is a book by Kevin DeYoung, and it's entitled, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? And in that particular book, Kevin DeYoung unpacks the key biblical passages on homosexuality, and then he responds to the most current trends and the most current arguments for and against homosexuality. And then a third book that I would recommend is the book, Is God Anti-Gay? And uh, this is by Pastor Sam Alberry. This is a very short book. If you like shorter books, this is only uh, 81 pages. And this book is both relational and gospel-centered. Now, Pastor Alberry begins the book by revealing his personal journey and discovering his same-sex attraction. And as a result, he writes with commitment to the scriptures, but genuine love for gay people in the church. And so it's a great balance in how he presents this subject, Is God Anti-Gay? So there's a couple of three books that I think will be very helpful for you. And as I look at this subject, I know this is a polarizing subject. Now, I don't make any apologies for what God's Word says about it, but I want you to know that this message is given with as much grace and as much love as I know how to give, because as we look at this subject, I think it's so important that we kind of have a certain thing in our mind. Number one would be the fact that just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean that I hate you. You know, my wife and I have been married for a long time, and we don't always agree on everything. And so that doesn't mean I hate her. As a matter of fact, my kids, uh, I love them dearly. I don't always agree with them on everything. Uh, And I also want to make the point that there is a major difference between accepting somebody and approving of their lifestyle. As Christians, we can accept everybody. I want you to know that regardless of your view on this subject, you are welcome to worship with us at Hickory Ridge Community Church. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to approve of you if you disagree with us on this matter of homosexuality. And as you look at this subject, it's so important that you realize there's a difference between accepting somebody and approving somebody. Acceptance is given to everybody. Because you're a fellow human being, 
created in the image of God, I will accept you, but I don't necessarily have to approve of your lifestyle. And you have that right to do the same thing to me, right? You don't have to approve of everything that I say in this broadcast, and that's okay. We will agree to disagree. And then I want to also remind you that there's an awful lot of people that were raised in good Bible-believing homes that struggle in this matter. As a matter of fact, I, I want to allude to a guy by the name of Matthew Vines, and you're welcome to do a search on him. He was a young man who was raised uh, in a very traditional home. It was a home in which he was taught the Bible, was very faithful in attending a, a, a very solid Bible-believing church, had great family, great parents. And, uh, and as he grew up, he went to Harvard. And as he went to Harvard, he ended up dropping out. And the reason he dropped out is because as he was a student at Harvard, he began to embrace the homosexual lifestyle, and he found that he couldn't find the help that he needed at Harvard University. And so he came back home. And because he affirmed his position on homosexuality, entered into the gay lifestyle, he he felt like he was out there in no man's land. And so he came back, lived with his mom and dad, and continued affirming that position And finally, he decided that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. He concluded, and and we're going to disagree with his conclusion, uh, he concluded that as long as you're in a monogamous relationship, the Bible doesn't condemn you. The Bible is all about one person with another person. And so we're going to talk about that, okay, because he has received a lot of traction, and when he put together a YouTube video on this, Uh, I think the initial video had over a million hits on it, and so he's written some materials about this. So we're going to talk about this, okay? We're going to talk about it in a Christ-honoring, loving way, but when you think about the term, even the term homosexuality, you know, it didn't even come into existence until the late 1800s. And so let's look at what the Bible says on this subject. And uh, depending on how you count the text, I came up with seven primary texts on this subject that I want to just give to you and make a few comments, and then we're going to go through and, uh, and explain where the Bible is in this subject of homosexuality. Well, the first text that we find it uh, is a text that is often overlooked, because I, I want you to know that... Um, The sin of homosexuality is as old as Noah and his family, okay? May have even predated that. We assume that it does. We just don't have a biblical record that records it prior to Genesis chapter 9. And in Genesis chapter 9, now you know the story, and you know what happened with Noah. God told him to build an ark. Noah was a righteous man. And so I want you to know that even if a righteous person can make some very serious judgment errors when it comes to matters of sexuality. And uh, this is the part of the story of Noah that you probably didn't learn about in children's church, okay? Uh, Your pastor probably hasn't spent a whole lot of time on Genesis 9, 20 to 27. But let me just give you a brief overview of what happens, because we don't have a full picture of all the details. But we know after the flood, uh, Noah and his family, okay, he had three boys and their wives, Noah and his wife, they were told to be fruitful and multiply, to, to repopulate the earth. And so uh, they're doing that, okay? Plants are growing, trees are growing, harvest time is taking place, the repopulation of the earth is taking place, 
And we read a very sad account that's only seven verses long in Genesis chapter 9, where Noah partook of the vine, and he got drunk. And in a drunken state, he's in his tent, and he's uncovered. And his son Ham walks in and sees his dad in this state. Now, that's about all the detail that the scriptures give us on it. But we can assume, because there was a curse that was given on Ham, that he did something of a sexual nature with his dad. So we have two problems here. We have the sin, uh, it's an incestuous relationship, and then it's a homosexual relationship. And so again, not a whole lot of details. That's why we don't cover a whole lot of it. But if you read between the lines, uh, you can pretty much figure out that this was not pleasing to God. And then the second passage that deals with this matter of same-sex issues would be the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's found in Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I feel like this has been spoken of often, and we have laws that are named after Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, we kind of know what happens there. We have a sin problem within the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we have Abraham, who has a nephew, Lot, who is living in Sodom, and Abraham sees how debased these cities have become. And so he goes to God, and he pleads for God not to destroy Sodom. And what does he do? He says, now, Lord, if there are 50 people who are righteous in this city, would you spare the city? And as you know, he couldn't find 50, and so he goes back and says, well, how about 40? Couldn't find 40. Well, how about 30? Couldn't find 30. Gets down to 10, right? Abraham couldn't even find 10 righteous people, and so he says, Lord, would you still spare uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, or, or at least spare uh, Lot and his family? And so, sure, God does. He spares Lot and his family, but because they couldn't even find 10 righteous people, Sodom is destroyed. Now, as we look at that, now that, that on one hand, is discouraging, right? That they had uh, the inability to find even 10 righteous people. But on the other hand, it's very encouraging because God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if there had been 10 righteous people. And I want you to know that I am so thankful that the United States of America still, in my opinion, has a significant gospel presentation. And we are told in scriptures that we should be salt and we should be light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says, as a follower of Christ, that we should let our light so shine before men, that they may see our good deeds, that they may glorify our Father which is in heaven. So light points out direction. Light gives this opportunity to bring growth and to bring new life. And so we are to be light, but we're also to be salt. Salt is a preservative, right? Salt uh, will preserve meat. And, uh, and so we are to preserve the culture. And so I believe that because of the presence of Bible-believing Christians, that we are preserving the culture, we are bringing light into the culture. And so that's a blessing to continue on. And so I want to encourage you, if you are a believer in Christ, share your faith wherever you go. Don't put your light under a bushel. Let your light so shine. There are a lot of people that I believe are wanting to hear the gospel. And so God has strategically placed us here for such a time as this to share the love of Christ with our neighbors, with our friends, with our co-workers. And so don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the gospel 
that is going to bring about salvation. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why was he not ashamed of it? Because it was the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so the gospel is available to all. Uh, So let's get back to our list here. We've got uh, Genesis 9, we have Genesis 19, and then there's some Levitical laws condemning same-sex marriage. And and here's just a couple of them. I won't list all of them, but Leviticus 18.22, Leviticus 20, verse number 13. And uh, we're going to spend a little more time talking about the Levitical laws concerning same-sex marriage. And then the Apostle Paul talks about it on three separate occasions. The first time he mentions it is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And then Paul also mentions it when he's talking to those that Timothy will be leading as pastor at the church of Ephesus. And in so Paul's letter to Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 1.10, he addresses this matter of homosexuality. And then uh, the sixth passage would be Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, a very popular passage of Scripture that we're going to dive into a little bit later in the broadcast. And then the last passage that I give, it doesn't actually mention homosexuality, but it mentions what biblical marriage is. Because so many times people will say, well, you know, Jesus never condemned homosexuality. But I I want you to know that Jesus never condemned rape or incest. Uh, But that doesn't mean he wasn't he wasn't supportive of that. And so what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 19, uh, he goes back to the original definition that was given by God himself of what marriage is. And he goes back to the creation account. And that's why everybody who is a follower of Christ ought to have a good working knowledge of the book of Genesis. And if you're a new believer, uh, maybe the book that you want to study first is the book of Genesis, because in so many issues of not only biblical morality, but in so many issues, we go back to the book of Genesis. We go back to the foundation of how God created us, how God designed us, and why God designed us a certain way. And so having a good working knowledge of the book of Genesis is very important, and that's what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 19. I mean, the Pharisees, they come, and they're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to pin him on the the matter of divorce. And the reason they're trying to do this is because they're figuring that that if if Jesus is against divorce, uh, they're going to have a conflict between what Jesus says and what Moses says on this subject. And so they're trying to create friction. Uh, And then they said, well, if Jesus is soft on divorce, then he's going contrary to the law. And so they're trying to pin Jesus in the corner, and Jesus doesn't do it. So they come to him and say, and so Jesus is, is speaking against divorce, and as he goes through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and he talks about what marriage is, and all of a sudden, they confront him with this issue of divorce, and they say, well, why is it then did Moses allow for a bill of divorcement? If divorce is wrong, why did Moses say, okay, uh, you're not getting along well here, you can go ahead and get divorced? Why did he do that? And so Jesus doesn't directly answer that question, but he goes back to the beginning of marriage. And he addresses the issue with Moses giving the bill of divorcement. And he says, the reason he did that is because Moses was making the best of a very bad situation. He had people whose hearts were bitter. And because their hearts were bitter, uh, and because they refused to forgive, 
They refused to acknowledge the fact that they could have healing within their marriage to keep things from going cattywonk. Uh, He says, okay, uh, we're going to make the best of a bad situation. God is not for divorce, but since this this is a relationship that has refused to be mended together, write a bill of divorcement. Let's make the best of a bad situation is what Moses is doing. But Jesus says, from the beginning of time, that wasn't the intent. It was because of the hardness and the bitterness of their heart. So Jesus brings it back to the original intent and design for marriage. And he says that a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, the two become flesh. And even before he does that, he identifies the difference between a male and female. So we're going to dive deeper into that subject as we go into this subject. So when we look at it, uh, when we look at how people in our world, how they read the Bible, how they understand the Bible, I used to believe that the most popular verse in the Bible was John 3.16. I thought everybody knows John 3.16. But years ago when Tim Tebow had John 3.16 on his face, it had unbelievable Google search results uh, indicating that most people don't know what 3.16 refers to or John 3.16 refers to. Most people will know Matthew 7.1. Even if they don't know the reference, they're going to say, remember what Jesus said? Judge not. They know that one verse. But I have a picture on my screen uh, right in front of me that has Matthew 7.1 and it's circled and it's red, and then the rest of the chapter is all scribbled out. And I think that's what many people do when it comes to this subject of studying God's Word. They'll pick up one isolated phrase and then run with it. You know, every text within the Bible has a context. And if we don't know the context of the verse, we will have what they call a pretext. We will go at something with a pretext. And we will say, well, Jesus says, judge not. You can't judge me because Jesus says, don't judge me. That's a pretext. I'm not denying that Jesus said, judge not. But what I'm saying is we got to read the rest of the chapter. The reason Jesus said that, he says, because as we make a judgment, the way that we judge others is the way that we should, or we will be judged. And I think that as you look at the context, Jesus is also talking about the fact that before we make a judgment on somebody else, we better make sure that we have removed the plank from our own eyes so that we can remove a speck from the eyes of somebody else. So when we make a judgment, we've got to be careful uh, that we're not doing the same thing that we're making a judgment upon. And so when we look at design and how God has created us, uh, we're going to get into the wonderful design of sex within marriage and how God created that. Now, a guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton was a British author uh, who was around at the beginning of the last century, uh, put it this way. He said, the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it has an established rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Now, I love that. Good things to run wild. Not evil things to run wild. Good things to run wild. In other words, when we understand how God has designed us, 
when you understand the purpose that God has for us, it is not to make our life miserable. It is not to make our lives boring. But that is where we enjoy the most fun. Things run wild within the confines of God's plan and God's purpose. Now, this is something that I have learned on a personal level. You know, as I think about a long-term marriage, I want you to know, marriage gets better and better if Christ is the center of your marriage. Two becoming one. And I want you to know, on all levels, it gets better. On the level of joy, on the level of intimacy, on the level of your sexual life, if you are faithful to your wife, guys, and you are long-term faithful uh, in your relationship with her, it gets better with time. Things become more interesting. Things become more creative. And so there is joy when you live your life according to God's plan and God's purpose. Now, the reason I put this in here, the reason I mention this, because I think it's so important for us to realize that when we look at this subject, Many people will say the reason that our friends who are homosexual are struggling with loneliness and depression and suicide is because they are feeling oppressed. And they're they're not feeling oppressed from the culture per se, but they're feeling oppressed from Christians who don't affirm their lifestyle. And they're feeling like, the reason that we are struggling so much is because these terrible Christians out here, they hate us. Well, I want you to know, first of all, that's not true. As a matter of fact, if you are a broken person wanting to come out of a lifestyle of any kind of immorality, I don't care what kind of immorality it is, you will find friends in Christians. They will help you. They will pray with you. They will support you. As a matter of fact, we have a ministry in our church called Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery is not designed to fix you, but is designed to support you and give you some tools so that the Lord himself can bring healing to your life. And so when we look at this subject of those who are battling with loneliness and depression and trying to lay that at the feet of Christians, I want you to know that that's not valid uh, to believe that. And I want you to join me tomorrow in the broadcast because I'm going to continue on this subject as we look at it. But in the Netherlands, the Netherlands is probably the most gay-friendly place on the planet. And so what they did is they did a study to find out, well, if it's very affirming, there's very few evangelical Christians in the Netherlands, then you would assume that the people in the Netherlands who are embracing immorality, they would not have the high level of loneliness, depression, and suicide that they have in the United States. But we found out that's not the case. Uh, The first law providing for marriage equality between same-sex and opposite-sex couples was actually passed in the Netherlands back in 2001. So when we look at this subject, loneliness, depression, and suicide, it's not because somebody disagrees with you that you're feeling that way. There's something that's missing in your life. Matthew chapter 7 is a powerful, powerful passage talking about how we can have victory in our lives. So please join me tomorrow, okay? I'm going to share in the beginning of the broadcast some uh, statistics about uh, homosexuality in the United States, and then we're going to walk through what the Bible says about this subject. Now, in my closing moments, 
We have a wonderful early learning center that uh, we are just building a new building for children, and uh, it's going to be serving our children who are uh, six weeks old up until about uh, five. And so if you are looking for employment, this is a would be a full-time opportunity if you're interested in working with children. Would you give the church a call? Hickory Ridge Community Church, 421-7500. 757-421-7500. And say, hey, I heard that you're looking for help. Uh, I would like to apply for that position. And you can talk to my wife, uh, Sherry, or you can talk to, to Jean Starling. And they'll be happy to tell you all about our Early Learning Center. Now, we're, we're in the Hickory section of Chesapeake, so we're not super far from you. If you live in the Hampton Roads area, we would love to talk to you. So the number again, Hickory Ridge Community Church, Hickory Ridge Academy, 757-421-7500. And thank you so much for listening to the broadcast. If you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, uh, we have services at 9 or 1045. I would love to see you on this Sunday. Come and worship with us. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today in the broadcast. Again, the church number 757-421-7500. Have a blessed day. Join me for part two on this subject tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.